Good morning. Our next case is Miller v. LG Chem Limited et al. And we will hear from the appellant. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Robert Friedman for Appellant Eric Miller. With me today is my co-counsel, Sarah Willingham. I'd like to try and reserve six minutes for rebuttal. LG Chem, a company that has touted its ambition to become the world's leading seller and manufacturer of lithium-ion batteries and to dominate that multi-billion dollar market, has not disputed that it knew and expected its 18650 batteries would be sold to and used by North Carolina consumers in consumer goods like power drills. It also has not disputed that it shipped directly to a North Carolina business in North Carolina at least 2,000 pounds of those batteries. And it does not dispute that its 18650 batteries could be found on the shelves of over 100 North Carolina stores. What is disputed is whether on, those re on that record, the North Carolina courts can exercise their sovereign power to provide a forum for a resident injured by those batteries, or if that resident, Mr. Miller, must go abroad to Korea to vindicate his rights. And that is indeed LG Chem's position, that it cannot be sued anywhere in the United States, despite the case law suggesting that its 18650 batteries are injuring users seemingly everywhere in the United States. As the Mississippi Supreme Court recently held in the Dilworth decision, when presented with that assertion and on an indistinguishable and in fact weaker record than the one here, that is not what the Constitution's due process clause requires. Instead, Mr. Miller can sue in the most natural forum and where he sued here, his home state where he purchased the battery, where he was injured by the battery. Uh, Mr. Friedman, uh, since you talk about what it has not been disputed, uh, can you help me understand what was to do with the findings of fact of the trial court uh, regarding, uh, regarding this situation? They, they're very clear findings of fact uh, with regard to these undisputed uh, situations. Could you help me with that? So the, the trial court's finding of, of facts were actually quite limited because its decision, I think, was tainted by its failure to recognize that there can be what I'll refer to as relate to jurisdiction. So the court's holding and its factual findings all revolve around this notion that, there, that jurisdiction can only arise out of a defendant's contacts with the forum. And you can see that uh, in its decision and you know the, the court's decision did come down before Ford. So that is perhaps understandable. Um, but for that reason, it didn't make uh, some of the findings that one would have expected that it to make post-Ford. And so the record is silent on some of these matters. The record is silent, for example, on the shipment, but as I said, LG Chem has not disputed it. It's also silent on where Mr. Miller w was actually injured. It just says that he alleged that he was injured somewhere. Those, but those are relevant factors under Ford. So am I hearing, or is it your position that had this case been decided at the trial court after Ford, there would have been a different set of findings of fact, potentially? I, I think that's a, a fair conclusion, that the court would have made broader findings of fact, um, and that those findings of facts would go only one way because they, they haven't been disputed. And LG Chem had um, an opportunity to respond to discovery, which it, it, it didn't do in a, in a competent way in, in, in our view. And also it was given an opportunity to submit affidavits after the hearing in front of the trial court on personal jurisdiction, and it still didn't dispute uh, central facts in that, in that affidavit that we had no ability. So your, your answer to Justice Barringer's question uh, the, the premise is Ford changed something about the law of personal jurisdiction. So what, in your view, did the Supreme Court change in the Ford decision that wasn't there before that after trial courts, this court recognizes now the law? So the, uh, I am not, our position is not that Ford changed anything. And Ford is quite clear that it didn't change anything. If you look at the opinion, it explains how um, it's holding flow directly from uh, the explanation given in Worldwide Volkswagen. All I'm saying is that, and, and I should also say that I think it's consistent with this court's holding in Beam, uh, which also applied what is functionally related to jurisdiction. All I'm saying is that the trial court might have been a little confused about when there could properly be jurisdiction because there are cases that do just refer to a rise out of jurisdiction. And, and obviously the, the case, the Ford case went up to the Supreme Court because there was some confusion in the lower courts. But, there, but when it comes to 
what the due process clause is about, Ford didn't change anything. It's about being able to reasonably anticipate being hailed into the forum state based on your contacts with the state. And that's what we have here. It's like in Ford. There's a product at issue. It was sent into the state by LG Chem, and that's what this lawsuit is about. So why then, again, in response to Justice Barringer's question, what, what might the trial court have done different then had it read Ford, if Ford didn't change the law? What is it about Ford that would have allowed the trial court to say, I need to make different findings or do something different in the case? Sure. So what the trial court seemed to think was that the battery had to go directly from uh, LG Chem, and LG Chem must have intended this particular battery that injured Mr. Miller to get to North Carolina. And unless there was that ch straight chain of causation, then there's no jurisdiction. But what Ford says is, if LG Chem sends batteries to North Carolina and Mr. M Miller happens to get his particular battery or any, in any product liability suit, the plaintiff has to get, happens to get their particular widget from an out-of-state reseller or an unauthorized in-state reseller, there's still jurisdiction. So the court would have, or I think sh should have, made findings uh, about the, the contacts related to the shipment, about where Mr. Miller was injured, all these uh, facts that are central to the holding under Ford, but were seemingly ignored in this case because uh, it, there is no straight, kind of straight, excuse me, straight chain of causation. Now we dispute that factual finding as well. That's the alternative argument that we're pressing here today. Uh, and we think that if you look at the record and see when LG started making, LG Chem started making changes to how it distributed these batteries, Mr. Miller's battery, we know was sent out before that happened because his contains no warning on it. And all of LG's changes, including putting a warning on it, happened around the same time. So we dispute that factual finding, but the, the court doesn't ultimately need to reach that because LG Chem has other contacts with the state which are sufficient under Ford, which are the, the shipment directly into the state and the sending um, of batteries as part of other consumer goods like power drills. Um, and now what LG... So if, um, as a matter of our personal jurisdiction case law, if the, the things you're arguing, that there were these, so for example, uh, if there was evidence that would meet the relating to prong of the test, but the trial court never made any fact findings about that, can we say, well, but the evidence is there in the record, and so there was personal jurisdiction and there was not, or does the trial court have to make a finding? So the reason I ask you is some areas of our law, um, in, in the criminal uh, area, for example, that we, we say you have to make the findings. What, what's the law here on that? So there's nothing that says that the trial court has to make the findings here and, it, and where it's undisputed, where LG Chem has had more than an adequate opportunity. Again, it had an opportunity after the hearing to contest these allegations. Uh, then this court has the power to make those findings. But the court can also just vacate and remand for further factual findings. Uh, and, th and that's a, r a result that would be proper here too. I think it's within the court's discretion to take either path. What the, the, what the court should not do is apply LG Chem's consu consumer market test, which is its main argument for getting around Ford. And what that says is there's no relate to jurisdiction here because the company assertedly did not serve what it describes as a consumer market because it is a component part manufacturer. And there are four principal problems with that argument. The first is it's going to cut off jurisdiction against component part manufacturers. because, And that's going to be contrary to decades of precedent. If you look at footnote three of our reply brief, you'll see just how often uh, component part manufacturers are hailed into uh, foreign states. And that's because component part manufacturers are always going to be selling to other sophisticated companies, not directly to consumers. And this is actually no longer a hypothetical problem. Judge Tyson, who authored the decision below, subsequently applied it to hold that a passenger in a helicopter crash could not sue the engine manufacturer because an engine manufacturer is a component part manufacturer and does not serve consumers directly. The second point is what that shows is that the consumer market test is divorced from what matters under the due process clause which is fair warning to the defendant and being able to reasonably anticipate being hailed into the forum state. And a component part manufacturer can reasonably anticipate being sued by a direct purchaser, by a downstream purchaser, by, by a user who uh, uses it for an allegedly unauthorized purpose, 
those are all economic realities that any manufacturer can expect. What is this? I'm sorry. No, go ahead and finish up. I'll go later. Thank you. What does the record say about whether LG Chem uh, manufactured the batteries as component parts for the electronic, the vaping device that exploded in this case? What, what does the record say about that? So uh, the record shows that LG Chem uh, sent its batteries to companies that incorporated the batteries into battery packs put into finished products. The record also shows that at a certain point before mid-2016, LG Chem was sending out these batteries without any agreement by the, um, by the direct purchaser to not use them for a certain purpose or to uh, put them to these, in, into these battery packs. There was no commitment. That's why in 2016 the record shows, and this is in the sealed uh, record at 15 to 16, the, the company started saying, please only do it for this purpose. And it didn't actually get contractual commitments for some time after that. And we know from the, the Kathawala decision, which was submitted in our second notice of supplemental authority, that LG Chem was distributing batteries directly to some distributors in the United States without any restrictions on where those batteries were going. So we, in, to answer your question perhaps most directly, in some instances, at a certain point in time, the company was saying, please only use it for this purpose and demanding a contractual commitment. Before that, it was sending it out indiscriminately and we would say haphazardly and recklessly. And that is how the batteries have ended up in, on so many shelves in North Carolina and a, across the country. I think your friends can argue they, they did say under oath though that they weren't for inclusion in the device that's at issue in this case, right? That they never anticipated manufacturing batteries that would become component parts for that device. Is that, is that right? There's somebody who said we never anticipated them being used in e-cigarettes, but we're talking about a battery. It's the most versatile product there is pretty much, and it's standardized. And LG Chem's, the fair warning that LG Chem is entitled to under the due process clause isn't fair warning um, of the precise nature of every claim and the precise plaintiff. It's fair warning that it can be hailed into court in the forum state and it's also important to keep in mind that LG, Mr. Miller's battery didn't explode in his vaping device. It wasn't some sort of chemical reaction between the battery and the e-cigarette. It exploded in his pocket, and it could have just as well exploded when one of North Carolina, excuse me, when one of LG Chem's North Carolina customers, uh, factory workers, picked up the battery and held it on the factory floor. It could have exploded there. It could have exploded if somebody took it out of a power drill and, and held it. In, in, in their garage or, gate, or left it on their garage table and a, a son or a spouse picked it up. So LG Chem might not have known it was gonna be Mr. Miller who sued, him, sued it, but it, it did have fair warning that it could be sued in North Carolina about its batteries, and that's all that Ford requires. Am I gleaning that you are arguing that there should be an expansion of the minimum contacts rule in light of what I think I'm hearing you say, which is that in this modern society with uh, component parts such as these batteries being sold and then resold, that there should be an anticipation that a supplier such as LG Chem should be in position to know that it could be hailed into a forum state even though it doesn't have the traditional minimum contacts that we're used to in our in our law? No, that is not our position. We're certainly not asking for an expansion and we're not asking the court to, to draw in those sorts of multi-level inferences to find uh, that LG Chem has contacts. LG Chem's contacts here are one very direct in a direct shipment to a North Carolina business. That's purposeful availment. That's what the Kathwala decision says. That's what the Morgan decision out of uh, the, the Texas Court of Appeals says. That's what the Fourth Circuit says in the IACS case, which is not a battery case, but it is about a single shipment to a state. And two, LG Chem's battery, LG Chem knew and expected its batteries to be sent as component parts of consumer goods to the state. And that's just classic stream of commerce. Uh, you know, you can go all the way back to Worldwide Volkswagen. It cites this decision, Gray versus American Radiator, where uh, a manufacturer had a valve in a radiator that got sent to, to Illinois, and the Supreme Court cited that approvingly as a contact. 
So that's where the purposeful availment comes in. And now there is this third category of contacts that it, there is a factual dispute and we challenge the trial court's factual finding, but even there, we're not asking for an expansion or saying that, that you should be drawing those sorts of inferences. We're saying that there, LG Chem has not put in evidence to dispute that before Mr. Miller's battery was sent out, because his doesn't have a warning, so we know that it, ha it was sent out and it left LG's possession before LG took all these steps, that, that for that, that shipment, it knew and expected it to reach North Carolina. Well, is there any line to be drawn between a circumstance such as the one you just addressed, where you have a company that is supplying its goods, knowing it is doing so in a form state, as opposed to a situation where your client was founding himself, which is using one of those component parts, i.e. the battery, in a way that LG Chem was expressly disclaiming that its product was to be used, and yet still because of the contact with the forum state, North Carolina, that it can still be expected to come into court in having its product to be used in a way that it has expressly disclaimed that the product should be used, even though on the other hand you say because there is contact with North Carolina in ways that are sanctioned that therefore LG Kim should expect to be coming into court defending matters such as this. So there is a line to be drawn, but it's a line on the merits. And LG Chem, if, if it takes those steps in a timely fashion, it's going to have a strong argument that the chain of causation, the proximate chain of, the proximate causation chain was severed by Mr. Miller's conduct. So that's a merits line. But if you start drawing the jurisdictional line at an allegation of unauthorized use, then cases that are seemingly quite obvious as having jurisdiction are going to fade away. So think about a bike manufacturer who sells a bike into North Carolina and says, this is a road bike, use it on pavement. If a user then takes it mountain biking and the bike collapses on a, on a tree route, that there's going to be no jurisdiction over that seller. And th there's no case law that says that unauthorized use cuts off jurisdiction in that way. And that is essentially what LG Ken's argument what, is here. Isn't it possible instead of unauthorized use that the line is knowledge that the product can be used in this way? So, for example, knowledge that uh, the batteries could be used in vaping devices. So, I'm not, there's no case law that says that unauthorized use, whether there's knowledge or not, can cut off jurisdiction. And that's because we're talking about, in, what, what we're really trying to figure out is whether the defendant's liberty interests have been violated. And if the, what the Supreme Court has said and what this court has said, is that if you can reasonably anticipate being hailed into court on the forums, in the forum state, then your liberty interests are not violated, irrespective of the precise nature of the claim. But even if the court wanted to put on a knowledge requirement, uh, this, there's clear uh, evidence here that LG Chem knew that this could happen. It's a battery, and again, it wasn't being used in, in a vaping <coughs> device. So the, the notion that LG Chem didn't know that its battery could be held or put in somebody's pocket, I, I, I would say is implausible. Um, but also, even if you thought about it in a vaping device, this is again an incredibly versatile product that is standardized. It's supposed to be capable of being used in different products. So LG Chem certainly knew it could be used in another way. And by the time Mr. Miller was injured in 2018, LG Chem did know that it could be used in vaping devices, and it did know that, and that's why it took those steps after Mr. Miller's battery was sent out, but before Mr. Miller was injured. Uh, counselor, back to the findings of fact and just how we should look at the record uh, about this. Um, you state that they could have, or they should have known, or did know, or whatever, but that, isn't that a disputed fact up until the point that this battery exploded uh, when they started putting the warnings on? Uh, how should we look at, at, at this nebulous part where, at least I'm reading the record, as being disputed with respect to that issue or that fact? So you're right, Justice Berenger, that the trial court did not say that LG knew that a battery could be held in somebody's hand, and that is also something that the court could vacate and remand for factual findings on. My point is I think that only goes one way, which is that 
LG Chem had knowledge that a battery is capable of being held. I mean, it, it, again, it, it sent the batteries to a North Carolina, uh, what it calls a sophisticated company, and that those were sent as loose batteries, 2,000 pounds of worth of loose batteries. Somebody had to take those out of the box and put them into what LG describes as a battery pack, and when the, in that process, somebody's going to be holding a battery in his or her hand. Let me get some clarification. Uh, no, go ahead. I'll make it quick. Uh, th there was some uh, clarification that I thought you had provided to me, uh, which was that the line was too early drawn on jurisdiction because a company such as LG Chem should expect to come into North Carolina to defend, and even if there is unauthorized use of its product, that nonetheless the lawsuit should be entertained, and then once the lawsuit is entertained, then jurisdictionally, once it gets in on the, on the merits, then if there's unauthorized use, then the lawsuit will reach whatever end it happens to, to reach. But I just heard you say that LG Kim should expect to be held into court even on unauthorized use and should anticipate that its product is going to be utilized in a way such as it was here, not sanctioned by LG Kim. Are you seeing jurisdiction rides even on the expectation that LG Kim should understand it can come into court even on an unauthorized use, or that it should come more broadly in terms of it does business in North Carolina, and therefore, for whatever reason, it should expect to come into court? It's closer to the latter, although it's not for whatever reason. There still needs to be a connection. It still needs to be related to the company's contacts. So if LG Chem forms contacts that are about its batteries, then it can be sued about its batteries. Just like in the Schaefer decision that this court handed out er earlier this month, if, a, if an out-of-state company has employees here, it can expect and cultivates an employee relationship here, it can expect to be sued about an employment-related dispute. So it's, it's the same sort of connection. And you know, if, if single care had said in Schaefer, if we change the facts a little, uh, if it were a sexual harassment suit and sex, single care said, we told our employees not to engage in sexual harassment, you know, that would not be a reason to find no jurisdiction. By the same token, here the, that LG Chem has, has said or claims that it put out warnings that were sufficient not to use it in this way, it doesn't cut off jurisdiction. It simply goes to the merits. And it will be a merits issue that is going to be litigated in this case. Justice, Justice Berger, I, I know you have a no, uh, so, counsel, I, I believe you and your friend on the other side have both uh, argued the due process uh, portion of personal jurisdiction. I've not seen, uh, or I don't recall seeing, um, satisfaction of the substantial activity component of the long-arm statute. So how, how does a component manufacturer uh, whose product is being used in an unauthorized way satisfy the substantial activity uh, requirement of our long-arm statute? So the, the long-arm statute has been conceded here. The, the defendants have never argued that it hasn't been satisfied. And it's both Section 1D and 4B that, that have been triggered here. But the, the long-arm statute has been triggered here by not just the, the shipment into the state for what LG claims is unauthorized, but again, we dispute that, that factual finding, but also the <coughs> other shipments, the, uh, the shipment directly to the North Carolina business and the shipment via other consumer goods. And, oops, sorry, I thought you had a question. So, and, and that is how that's satisfied. And it goes to the fullest extent of the due process clause. That's what the case law says about the long arm statute. So that shouldn't be any barrier to uh, jurisdiction here. And that wasn't the holding of even the majority uh, in the decision below. Um, I, I know that your argument here is that the, um, allegations of the complaint and other uncontested facts are sufficient to establish jurisdiction. But I just, could you just address quickly what you could have obtained in discovery with the, in, the discovery related, um, or the jurisdictional related interrogatories that were not answered? Yes, so some of this is laid out in our brief, but there are other, um, there are other d discovery requests that we'd like to pursue as well. But primarily, it's about figuring out who LG Chem was selling to and for what applications. So that's our first interrogatory. And that would give us information to, 
that we would use both to send further discovery for requests and to take a deposition to figure out how the company's batteries were making its way into the United States and into North Carolina specifically. We understand that that is the test. Uh, and also, we asked for a lot of information about the steps it took to actually limit uh, this supposedly unauthorized use and when it took those steps. And that would also help us to, to challenge on a more robust record LG Chem's claims. And LG Chem has basically said, well, we submitted an affidavit and that's that. But that's not how discovery works, first of all. And we also know in this case, and it's outlined in our brief below, pages 41 to 42, that LG Chem's original answer denied doing any business in the state. And it then had to amend that after we were able to um, drum up on our, with, on our own some evidence of it doing business. Council, I, I know I'm eating your rebuttal, but I, I want to follow up on, on this point. So, uh, first of all, would you agree that the, whether or not to allow jurisdictional discovery is an abuse of discretion standard that we've, you said that's a discretionary decision by the trial court. Would you agree with that? I would, but we, I... So, one thing about abuse of discretion is it's per se abuse of discretion if the trial court is acting under any misapprehension of the law when making that discretionary decision. So going back to my earlier questions about Ford, I take it it's your position here that Ford changed enough that we really can't be sure in the court's discretion it would have made the same decision and it, we need to give the court that opportunity to decide whether there should be discovery. Is that your argument? I'd, I'd say it a little differently. Uh, I'd say that the court just misunderstood the law and, and Ford leaves no doubt about what the law is. So Ford didn't change it, but the, the court still got it wrong and so there's still that per se abuse. There's also a, a per se abuse here because the court made no decision and LG Chem doesn't dispute that if there was no decision, that's an abuse of discretion. It just tries to pick and choose what we think are um, factually uh, inapposite points from the record to say that there was a tacit decision here. If I can reserve the rest of my time for a vote. Thank you, Council. We'll hear from the appellee. May it please the court, Wendy Dowd for defendants and appellees LG Chem Limited and LG Chem America Inc. Um, I just wanted to clear up a couple things uh, before I get started with the, the main uh, argument here. We're not talking about batteries. What we're talking about are components of a battery cell. When an 18650 cell is combined with protective circuitry inside a hard case battery pack, that becomes a battery. So to say that they're interchangeable and they can easily be removed from the consumer devices in which they are eventually installed is, is misleading. You would need a hammer to get an 18650 cell out of a power drill or out of a flashlight or out of any of the other products that, um, that they're found in. Um, one other thing I wanted to clear up is... Um, uh, Counselor, on that point, when they come into anyone's possession, any of these ma uh, middle manufacturers, uh, do they come in as bad as a, a battery and then put into this? How how does that work? They are shipped out from LG Chem in packages of 100, and so there will be 100 of these cells. And if the court, um, I think it would be helpful for the court to see what these actually look like because there's been a lot of references to, oh, these are just like AA batteries. These things look absolutely nothing like a consumer product. And so there are in the record pictures of 18650 cells. Uh, I cannot tell the court that they, these are pictures from an unauthorized distributor's website. So I don't know if these are authentic. Uh, counterfeit cells are very ubiquitous. And then there's also a process called rewrapping where some companies take LG Chem's 18650 cells, they remove the wrapper from the cell, and then they rewrap it to make it look like a different product. Um, and we actually have some evidence that that might be the case um, in this case, but I'll get back to that. And one follow-up, uh, this cell that you call it, is it a standalone battery or does it have to be put with some other component to be what would be... It what is, we would consider a battery. It is, yeah, it's, it's not a battery. It's a battery. It's a battery cell, and a lot of the courts have used you know batteries as shorthands because it's you know it's easier. But it's it's not a battery. A battery need in order for this product to perform as a battery, it needs it absolutely must have the 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 wiring, the protective circuitry, and the hard case battery pack, um, and you know that's all throughout the record. I believe that's undisputed. 
The pictures of the 18650s that I was referring to is in the 11C supplement from 59 to 61. And again, I can't, uh, there's no way to know whether these are counterfeit cells or rewrap cells, but in general, that's what these look like, and they look nothing like consumer products. Since you raised for us the picture of how this is not a battery, but it's something else, does the company know how the single 18650 lithium ion cells end up in vape pens? Uh, no. <laughs> so we know in this case there's a very, you know, we know that these uh, two uh, 18650s are what purport to be 18650s. LG Chem HG2s, which is a particular, there are lots of different models within 18650s, and we haven't tried to make a distinction between HG2s and MG1s. I think that's kind of a, that's kind of too cute. So we're just talking about 18650s, but the, the, the 18650 model that is um, involved in this case is a brown HG2. And the, the, the HG2 is, is the main cell that is involved in, in across all of these cases. So, um, the, uh, there were a couple comments about how we know that this, this cell was shipped out you know, before the warnings, and that's absolutely not the case. So there is, um, there is a, a, uh, an entity involved in this case called DNA Distribution. It's an entity um, that helped bring one of Mr. Miller's 18650s into North Carolina. DNA Distribution is, is uh, located in Georgia, and it purchased 18650 cells from an entity in China called Shenzhen IMR. And we have, uh, and I think this is very significant, there are invoices in the record that show that um, DNA distribution purchased from Shenzhen 18650s without warning. So we know that after the warnings were introduced, we have companies like DNA Distribution going out and actively seeking out 18650s without warning. And that can mean one of two things. That can mean they were looking for old stock that didn't have the warnings, or they could have been rewrapped um, to, look like 18, to look like HD2s. Um, and that, that's, that, that could very well have happened with the second HD2 edition in this case. But are, are the plaintiffs correct that, you, that you're not that you're not contesting that some of LG Kim's cells are in North Carolina. They are in North Carolina, but not by LG Kim's choice. And what Ford says is that a company's contact with the forum state must be the defendant's own choice. And far from being this this being LG Kim's own choice, it tried to prevent this from happening. And it took many of these steps before Mr. Miller's injury. So then you're contest. So is it in one of the affidavits where you say? So I, I do understand the language of the affidavits where you say that LG Chem never intended them for, to be used in this way. But just on the more basic question of whether or not LG Chem shipped cells to North Carolina, is there something in the record that contests that? So there is one shipment. It's uh, 17 months post uh, injury. And I know this court addressed the timing issue in Schaefer, and I think Schaefer actually makes many of the points that we would like to make. And Schaefer, this court, rejected a rigid per se rule about timing, and it made absolute sense in that case because it was an employment contract and the plaintiff was complaining about being fired, and he was fired after the employer helped him move to North Carolina um, you know, he, they, you know, w worked with him while I was here for many months, even it looked like to me more than I couldn't really tell, but it seemed like most of the employment relationship happened while he was in North Carolina. And, you know, all of the things that the employer did after, after Schaefer moved to North Carolina gave it fair notice and clear warning that it could be hailed into court in North Carolina based on that employment relationship. Whereas when, in contrast, when a, a product manufacturer ships a, a product into the forum state and it happens after the plaintiff's injury, that, there's no way that that could give clear notice or fair warning of this injury that has already occurred. 
So you're saying there were no shipments of LG Chem's cells to North Carolina prior to the injury that occurred? Directly from LG Chem and LG CAI, that's undisputed. And is that in the, uh, in the affidavit? It's in both affidavits, yes. I could get record sites if you'd like. Oh, that's good, thank you. So yeah, counsel, counsel why, why is, help me with this, why isn't that a substantial activity argument under the long arm statute? Um, I believe the long arm statute has been interpreted to extend to the full process, to the full extent of due process so that the, um, the uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the question kind of collapses in, it's all just kind of one, so, you well, know, we've whether been, or not we've been clear uh, recently that it's a two-step process. Mm -hmm. So, so why isn't that a substantial activity argument? We haven't argued that the the argument about the post-injury uh, shipment is an argument about uh, the timing. But if the court's not inclined to to look at you know to to view the timing as as not giving fair warning or clear notice, then this this shipment is still absolutely unrelated to the plaintiff's claims because it was to a, a battery packer. It was, you know, it, it was serving an industrial market and not a consumer market. Um, the California Court of Appeal in Lahan really dug into this relatedness. Uh, I call it Lahan. It's the LG Chem v. Superior Court. The Lahan was the name of the plaintiff. They really, really dug in to this concept of relatedness and, and also in Yamashita, the Ninth Circuit said, look, what matters here is the consumer market and even if LG Chem shipped 18650s to a, an industrial customer in, it was Hawaii and Yamashita and California, obviously in, in Lahan, then those are not, it's not gonna be related enough to uh, the plaintiff's claims. So is, is your, I'm sorry, one, one, one more. Um, so is your client subject to personal jurisdiction anywhere in the United States for shipment of uh, uh, these component parts? If so, or if not, why? Uh, not in cases involving the unauthorized sale of these 18650s to consumers. And that has troubled courts. It very obviously troubled the court, Mississippi Supreme Court in Dilworth and Kothawala. The Illinois Appellate Court also was troubled by this, but it's it's, it's irrelevant. Uh, the absence of jurisdiction elsewhere cannot create jurisdiction here. So uh, it, it, it troubles courts, but it, it's, it's really irrelevant and I think uh, not a valid basis for basing jurisdiction. But, but help me understand this. So, so your argument is that even though this company's products end up in the United States, there's nowhere in the United States where they can be sued if the products are defective and they know about it? Well, LGCAI is uh, a Delaware corporation with its principal place of business in Atlanta, Georgia, so it can be sued. There's general jurisdiction over LGCAI in Delaware and in, uh, and in Georgia. And, and, and no, and, and the, the reason is because uh, in all of these cases, these 18650s arrived in the forum state as the result of unilateral actions of unauthorized third parties who have no connection to LG Chem. Um, there's testimony in the record from LG Chem's corporate representative that um, in 2016, when this first uh, started happening, LG Chem had been selling 18650s for more than 10 years and nothing like this had ever happened because they only served these industrial customers. Yeah, this is where I, I just wanted to make one point of clarification. Are, are there no industrial end users in North Carolina? Uh, there's there, the one shipment, there's, there's that one shipment. So, so before, before that shipment, but that was after the injury? Correct. Here, correct? So there's no, nothing in the record about any industrial end users in North Carolina. So no batteries as far as what's in the record will be coming to North Carolina it's, uh, yes, some it's, it's not that there's no evidence in the record. There's affirmative evidence from both LG Chem and LG CAI that they did not ship any 18650s uh, to entities in, in North Carolina before the plaintiff's injury. And what does the record say about LG Chem's knowledge that the battery, because you know, this, this, this um, for example, the evidence in the record of all the different vape shops that had, uh, or allegedly had the LG Chem batteries. So what? What does the record say about LG Chem's knowledge that that was going on? Um, so 
knowledge is different than creating a contact with a forum state by the defendant's own choice. And I think uh, all of that research was done as a result of this litigation, so it was post-litigation. So any uh, the presence of 18650s in North Carolina is, is despite all of LG Chem's efforts to prevent that exact thing from happening. It's because companies like DNA Distribution are still able to find old stock. They're still able to find, um, you know, they're still able to find rewrapped cells. And none of the vape shops cared at all about the cease and desist letters that LG Chem sent out saying, this is dangerous. Don't, you know, this is dangerous. This is, these have never, ever, ever been approved. They are not meant to be handled by consumers. They're not designed to be handled by consumers. And the trial court, in fact, said there are legitimate reasons for the design of these this component product uh, that you can't put the protective circuitry and the the battery pack, you know, inside this tiny little cell. It's impossible. So it would be it it can't be done. These are only meant to be handled by sophisticated entities who are going to incorporate them into battery packs. But I, it seems like your friend's argument under Ford is that. That is relating to, though, because LG Chems, the batteries are ending up in these vape shops. Consumers are purchasing them in. Someone gets injured. And uh, how is the battery here? Because LG Chem put it into the stream of commerce, and the fact that someone used it for that other purpose, that could provide a defense to any liability for the injury, but it, it wouldn't defeat the personal jurisdiction angle. So what, what's your response to that? So the way I read the... Um the, the, the appellant's brief and the reply brief is that Ford created a, a simple rule for product liability cases where as long as the defendant manufactured the product and uh, you know served a market for the product in the forum state, then as long as there's a product-related injury in the forum state, then that's going to be jurisdiction in every case. So um, what Ford said was actually the opposite <laughs> of that. Um, Ford did not create a, a simple rule. Um, in fact, Ford was asked to create a simple rule. There is a simple rule for finding relatedness. It's the but-for test. And many, many states and uh, the Federal Circuit Courts of Appeals had applied that rule for many decades. The Ninth Circuit, for 40 years, used the but-for test to uh, decide whether a, a defendant's forum contacts arise out of or relate to the plaintiff's claims. Um, and the Supreme Court declined to adopt that simple test, uh, and instead they said there are some, some relationships between a non-resident defendant, uh, the forum state, and the plaintiff's claims that can support an exercise of specific personal ju jurisdiction without a strict causal relationship between the, the in-state activity and the plaintiff's claims. Uh, and Counselor, I'd like to follow up on uh, Justice Dietz. Uh, specific question about whether uh, the, uh, and this is actually coming from uh, Judge Inman's dissent, but an, uh, an alleged alter, alteration or misuse of this battery is a defense on the merits to the plaintiff's products liability case suit, not a dispositive factor in the specific jurisdiction. Uh, and I think he alluded to that in his, his more general question. Could you please address that for me? Certainly. So that, 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 uh, and, I, and I think it's an error, and that error runs through all of the cases where um, courts have, have declined to, uh, or have denied or refused to find jurisdiction, or have found jurisdiction over LG Chem and LGCAI. So what matters here is the defendant's conduct, not what the plaintiff did. And so our argument is not, the, plaint the argument is not a misuse argument. No one's blaming the plaintiffs, and it's not a misuse argument. It's an argument about, what it was that LG Chem and LG CAI did to connect themselves to the forum state. And um, again, this is this has gone into at length in the Lahan case. But uh, and, and if I might interrupt you so that I can get clarity, um, not cited to in the dissent, but certainly in other cases, uh, unauthorized use is also a defense. That's not what was stated here, and I'm understanding your argument is that this was unauthorized use by, uh, by these middle men or middle companies. Uh, how do you address the unauthorized use, notwithstanding the fact that uh, Justice Inman did not specifically use that word in her dissent? Sure. So uh, there's the, 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 the I think the concept is that 
um, personal jurisdiction arguments and merits arguments are mutually exclusive. And that's absolutely not the case when you're talking about specific jurisdiction because you're always going to be talking about the defendant's case-specific conduct. So you can't put them in in separate buckets here. And uh, my friends alluded to the Morgan case. Uh, the Morgan case in the Texas Court of Appeals made this distinction. Um, the Texas Supreme Court has granted review in Morgan and it was argued last month. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to hear what the Texas Supreme Court has said about that. But there is another case from the Texas Supreme Court in Ray Christensen that we cited in our brief that says, of course, there's always gonna be overlap between the merits and jurisdictional inquiries when you're talking about specific jurisdiction. There necessarily has to be, and Lahan also makes this point. Thank you. You were saying just a bit earlier that <clears throat> this is not exclusively just talking about unauthorized use in terms of uh, disclaiming that there's jurisdiction here in North Carolina, but it's LG's connection, LG Kim's connection with this state, North Carolina. Did LG Kim deny the allegations in the complaint of the plaintiff that the U.S. District Court for the Western District of North Carolina determined that LG Kim has registered to do business here in North Carolina, has a registered process agent here in North Carolina, uses property in North Carolina for storage, and has paid state taxes in North Carolina at least once, was that denied? No, it wasn't. So Selgard was a um, it was a, a patent infringement case, and uh, it, they they decided that those contacts that you referred to um, were sufficient to find general jurisdiction, and that that is absolutely incorrect and wrong under Daimler. Um, and to the extent that there's a question about registration to do business, the U.S. Supreme Court's going to decide that any minute. Um, in a case called Murray that was argued on November uh, 9th, 2022. So the U.S. Supreme Court's gonna decide whether registration to do business is consent to do, is to consent to do jurisdiction, uh, you know, sometime before July. If that was not denied and it's in the record, how should we treat that in terms of looking at jurisdiction, in terms of the contacts that LG Kim has with North Carolina that was at least not denied on the trial level's early stages of looking at jurisdiction here? So LG Chem and, and LG CII were both involved in Selgard. Uh, the court in Selgard found that LG Chem was subject to specific jurisdiction based on very specific contacts uh, involving in the negotiation of a contract and it re rejected the stream of commerce argument that the plaintiff made in that case. And then LGCAI, again, was uh, subject, to, the court found it was subject to general jurisdiction. And after, after Daimler and BNSF, uh, you know, that's absolutely wrong. <laughs> so um, I, I don't think those contacts are, are relevant at all to the specific jurisdiction inquiry. And just to clarify something, the, uh, what, has there ever been an argument um, from the plaintiffs that uh, there was any consent to jurisdiction? in any way, registration or in any other? Uh, uh, in this case, I, I don't believe so. And there's, uh, there is there any argument? There was argument made in, by the amicus uh, and, you know. Well, that's what I was getting appeal, at. In the Court of Appeals, but, you know, we would argue that's waived and, and there's, there's no real, really and no reason to get into that because the Supreme Court's gonna decide that any minute. Um, I would like to, to say a few things um, just to follow up, I don't have that much time left, but um, I think that the concurring opinions in Ford are, are very enlightening, especially in light of the arguments that have been made in this case about how you know there's this just simple, obvious rule that it was established by Ford. Um, very forced, <laughs> Justice Alito and Justice Gorsuch, who was joined by Justice Thomas, very forcefully rejected that argument. Um, Justice Alito, um, Limits must be found, and the court assures us that relate to, as it now uses the concept, incorporates real limits. But without any indication what those limits might be, I doubt that the lower courts will find that observation terribly helpful. Um, and then Justice Gorsuch, where this leaves us is far from clear. For a case to relate to the defendant's forum conducts, the majority says, 
It is enough if an affiliation or relationship or connection exists between them. But what does this assortment of nouns mean? Loose from any causation standard, we are left to guess. The majority promised us that our, this new test does not mean anything goes, but that hardly tells us what does. So Ford, um, you know, I think <coughs> both sides are in agreement that under Ford, the contact with the forum state must involve the precise product at issue. Um, and the Court of Appeals, you know, found that, and I, that, that's absolutely correct. That's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Uh, you know, the, Council, um, am, am I correct in assuming that uh, if the, the shipment to, to North Carolina had occurred prior to the incident, I know that's counterfactual, but uh, if it had occurred prior to the incident, that you would nonetheless argue uh, no personal jurisdiction because the use to which um, the cells were put in vaping, um, in e-cigs, whatever, um, that that's unauthorized? Uh, we would argue that because we would argue that these shipments are not related enough to uh, a plaintiff's claim that he was injured by using uh, a standalone battery that he purchased from an unauthorized seller, uh, and that's what that's what the Lahan court found, and that's what the Yamashita court found, and they dug into it, and that's because. There's nothing that LG Chem or LGCI did in any way to foster or, or encourage or, or do anything to, to make this happen. So, and, and in fact, in this case, and we, didn't have, we don't have this evidence of the efforts that LG Chem made to stop this in, in, in many of the cases um, that have gone uh, against us. It was not an issue in Dilworth. Uh, we had limited evidence of this in Cothawalla. Uh, and then in Morgan, we also did not have this evidence, but it is uh, presented in another case that's before uh, the Texas Supreme Court. Would, would remand, uh, so suppose there was a remand for the trial court to reconsider its discovery rulings. Would, uh, additional discovery would give you the opportunity to develop that, wouldn't it? Uh, I think it's, the, there's no, no amount of discovery is going to change the fact that these are industrial component products and LG Chem and LGCAI never, ever did anything to uh, encourage to, to sell to a consumer market. So I think um, to the extent this case can, you know, if it's going to turn on relatedness, there's nothing that's going to change those facts. So I just want to go back to my, sort of my knowledge questions. I guess the, if you think about this, uh, the way you would think about an off-label use of a, a drug, for example. So there's, you know, they've got, there's this use for the, batteries that's not, uh, you know, you say is not what your clients intend when they've put them into the stream of commerce for the industrial use. But if everyone, including your clients, knows that they're going into the stream of commerce and then they're getting into the hands of people that are putting them for sale in these vape shops and that consumers are buying them for that use, doesn't that start to make it related to, I mean, they, because everybody knows there's this other use out there, even if it's not the intended one. And so it, it seems like there is some component of if, if, that you're, if you're, your clients are aware of that and, and, uh, and are allowing that to happen, then that could meet the, the Ford test. You just, you just disagree with that? Well, awareness is not the same as pur purposeful contact. Um, and, and the stream of commerce is a useful metaphor. It doesn't really fit the facts of this case. So this goes back to the Asahi metal. Uh, case, which was a component part case. Um, and the reason that Justice Brennan found no reason to find this, you know, additional, uh, you know, conduct targeting the forum state is because, and I'm quoting here, the stream of commerce refers not to unpredictable currents or eddies, but to the regular anticipated flow of products from manufacturer to distribution to retail sale. That's 480 U.S. at one 17 and so we we know that mr miller's you know we know how mr miller's uh uh 18650 cells arrived in north carolina and they didn't the, the the they didn't travel through the stream of commerce um they at all so you know there was an unauthorized back channel that was created by these these unauthorized parties who were you know seeking out uh either rewrapped or cells with no yeah, warning. That's sort of what I'm getting at. It's much like you can imagine a drug manufacturer that's saying, wow, we're selling a lot of this drug. It can't all be for this on-label purpose. It must be that lots of people are buying this. It could be a similar thing where your clients are saying, wow, 
it can't be that people need this many power tools. So they must be taking the batteries and they're reselling them and profiting that way. But we're making money by still selling them all and putting them in the, the power tools and someone's going to take it out later. And in that circumstance, you can see it meeting the Ford relating to standard. But, and I just wonder, getting some of my colleagues' questions, of if there's just not enough fact development or fact findings by the trial court to answer that question. Well, I, I mean, again, it, it's it's undisputed that they, they never fathomed that they'd been making these things for over 10 years and never fathomed that this could happen because, you know, they were only selling to these industrial, uh, you know, original equipment manufacturers and, you know, a very, the the number of these cells that are sold, I mean, the, the I don't have exact numbers. I have, you know, kind of, yeah, it, it's a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of of, of the sales, and I don't. And there is absolutely no evidence that LG Chem had any idea um, that HD2s were started to be manufactured, and that's when this all started. So they started mass producing HD2s in 2015, and then in 2016 this started happening, and they immediately tried to make it stop happening. And there's you know all of this ev this evidence in the record about, about <coughs> what they did to do that. So. You know, uh, just bare awareness is is not enough. And then, you know, a lot of a lot of time, the stream of commerce is just used as as kind of an incantation that opens the gate to specific jurisdiction. But you still have to show relatedness. So even if you, the stream of commerce metaphor were useful in this case, or it fit the facts of this case, you still have to show relatedness. And that's never gonna that's never going to happen because LG Chem and LG CAI did nothing to foster this consumer market and in fact did everything they could to stop it. So the California Court of Appeal, um, you know, they didn't want to look at this in, in terms of um, in terms of purposeful availment because there were significant sales of millions of 18650 cells to car uh, people in uh, three uh, entities in the electronic car industry. So they didn't want to look at it in terms of purposeful availment because they found they found purposeful availment, uh, and so but they did say that it was very relevant in terms of relatedness that that LG Chem uh, never served this market. I Thank you. My time is up. Thank you, Council. Rebuttal. Thank you. If I can, I'd like to make five brief points. The first is that although we think that Schaefer resolves the timing of the shipment, the court doesn't need the shipment to find purposeful availment. Again, in Dilworth, if you look at paragraph five of that decision, all there was was the contacts through uh, batteries or cells, if we want to call them cells, found in power drills. Second, we just heard from LG's counsel that it is too cute to limit the model of batteries uh, to HG2, to the HG2 model. That is exactly how they limited their discovery responses. So it may well be, now we know that it, there are other shipments into the state or at least other contacts into the state about other models that we were just told aren't, and those models we were just told are relevant. The third, Justice Earls, you asked about suing uh, anywhere in the United States and it is correct that LG America, what my co-counsel said, uh, LG Chem's counsel says is uh, LG CAI, same entity, uh, can be sued in Georgia, but they're not a manufacturer, and that's undisputed. So we we hope and uh, expect to be able to prove that they were a seller in the, in the chain of distribution here, but it may end up being not the case, and the manufacturer who is responsible for the defective product, LG Chem, cannot be sued anywhere in the United States. Next, I want to clean up a few things about the relatedness test. The first is we heard that Ford was proposed a simple relatedness test of but for. That has it exactly backwards. Ford, the company, argued that there should be a strict but for causation or proximate cause causation test. And the court said, no, you can have relatedness as well. Second, we're not trying to uh, say that just because something has to do with the merits, it is therefore not proper to consider in the jurisdictional analysis. Instead, we're saying here that this merits issue, unauthorized use, has no bearing on jurisdiction because it doesn't get to the heart of the matter, which is whether there's fair warning to the defendant. And third, uh, the court just heard that awareness isn't enough 
but that's exactly what this court said in MUHA, that there's an, if you have an expectation that the product is going to reach the forum state, that is enough. That's the distinction that this court drew in Schaefer and in the Schaefer oral argument uh, between MUHA and Schaefer, that there was knowledge that the product would reach or the, the employee would reach the forum state. And then finally, you heard about the Lahan case in Yamashita. Both of those cases um, were about uh, or accepted the consumer market approach. And I want to circle back to the third reason why that's improper, which Justice Dietz, you touched on, which is this drug manufacturer. That's going to now be split up into a prescription market and a recreational market. And the manufacturer who acquiesces in uh, excessive use on the recreational market is going to be able to say, we only serve the prescription market. And it's important to recognize that because it's the defendant's contacts that matter in these cases, that even if it's not the victim that's suing, but it's the attorney general trying to go after Purdue Pharma, or if there's a public fire caused by one of LG's batteries, the attorney general is now going to have to go to Connecticut or to Korea to vindicate the rights of North Carolinians. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you, everyone.